Well, good morning, everyone. If you have a Bible, Colossians chapter 1 is where we're going to be this morning. And in just a few seconds, I'll be reading from verse 21, or excuse me, verse 24 to the end of the chapter. Chapter 1 of Colossians, page 800 and 833 in the church Bibles, if that would be of some help to you. Very glad that you've chosen to be here with us this morning. And again, if you're new, my name is Joe Franzone, and I serve here as the pastor. And just want you to know that you're very welcome, and I'm glad that, glad that you've, you're here. Verse 24 to verse 29. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. So right away you're thinking, okay, question, what is the word of God in its fullness? Verse, verse 26, the mystery that is been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of the mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him. We preach Christ, some translations, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end, I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of his word this morning. Let's bow together and ask for that divine power this morning. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Our gracious God and our loving Father, we bow before your holy word this morning. And in light of the verses before us, we affirm the truth that if Jesus Christ be God and he died for us, then no amount of sacrifice we can make for him can be too great. So we ask for your mighty power to come down and quicken us by the Holy Spirit that you would open our eyes and open our ears, our minds, and change our minds and give us noble hearts in order that our time together will be useful and bring glory to your name. And as always, Father, I need you to make me useful right now. And we pray this for your son's sake, Jesus Christ. Amen. These five verses that we have turned to this morning and we will be turning to, I think, for at least, I know for another Sunday, perhaps, perhaps three Sundays. And I think as the talk goes on this morning, I think you'll understand why. But these verses give to us one of the apostles' clearest and complete and authorized statement concerning the genuine marks of a God-given ministry. And so this inspired approach that is provided for us in these verses, these opening or ending verses of chapter 1, is essentially a Christ-given pattern, not only for their day, but for our day and every day past this day, for everyone who would follow in his footsteps in gospel ministry. 
And because of the times, it becomes awfully important that we understand these marks, that we, that we really get these down as a congregation and hold to him, to them. And we can hold to him too, and that would be Christ. Because I think it would be fairly safe to say that at this point in human history, humility of mind doesn't seem to be one of our strong points. And I say that in the context of humility and airing one's personal opinions about Christianity about a Christ-centered or a Christian ministry and Christ's church. It seems to me to be very clear that at this point in human history, people, people want their voices to be heard and so their opinions to be aired. Subsequently, whether they blog it, post it, tell it, preach it, write it, tweet it, tattoo it, stick it on a t-shirt, or even say it to our faces if people still do that these days, People want to be heard, and in many cases, in this context, they want to be obeyed. So instead of doing the good work of consistently sitting under the preaching of of someone who correctly handles the word of truth, the Bible, and instead of doing the hard work of, of a vigorous study of the Bible, they would rather do the easy work of simply opening up their mouths. Proverbs 18, 2, fools find no pleasure in understanding, but fools delight and airing their own opinions. Now, of course, it is a good and necessary thing for opinions to be heard about many things. This is one of the needed privileges that we enjoy living in these United States. But in the case of Christian orthodoxy, in the case of just what are the genuine marks of a God-given Christian ministry in the church of which Jesus Christ is the head of, because Jesus Christ is the head of, frankly, Opinions are not necessary, and opinions are not even helpful. This is part of the reason Jesus and Paul and John and Peter and Jude and others like them so often refer to themselves as servants or slaves in ministry. Now, we understand the difficulty in those terms, but nonetheless, those are terms that God has chosen to give. So Paul and Peter and Jude and, and, and Jesus would call themselves servants of the word or servants of the gospel or slaves of Christ or a slave of God's ministry or to the church. So let's give an example. Jesus Christ in John's gospel. At least twice Jesus reveals to us this proper pattern for, for Christian ministry. John chapter 5 and John chapter 12. First John chapter 5. Jesus says, verse 19, truly I tell you, The son can do nothing by himself. He he can do only what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. So right off the bat, Jesus tells us that the ministry of the son is constrained by the father so that even the son doesn't have any liberty given in this. Even Christ. So then John 12, 49 and 50, Jesus said, I do not speak on my own. This is Jesus. But the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say, says Jesus, is just what the Father has told me to say. Again, constrained. In fact, in another place, Jesus, Jesus says in John's gospel, whoever speaks on their own outside that context, they're doing so to gain personal glory. 
So even our Lord Jesus Christ constrains himself to God his Father's mind and God his Father's word. And what was spoken to Christ from God is now written to Christians from men of God and inspired texts that we only find in our Bible. So for example, 2 Timothy 1.13, Paul does the same thing that Jesus says. Paul would say to the young pastor Timothy, what you heard from me, which the Bible tells us, Galatians 1, Acts 26, that that Paul received from Christ, the gospel and all its outworkings, what you've heard from me, keep, hold to the standard, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. In other words, Paul would say, Timothy, Christ gave me this ministry. He received it from God, his father, our father. And now, Timothy, I'm passing it down to you. Don't you dare change anything about it. In fact, the Holy Spirit will help you not change it. And so this biblical pattern of constraining ourselves to the God-given pattern and God's authority in matters of the faith and in matters of the application of the faith, especially in ministry, which runs all the way through the New Testament, to many in our day would almost seem like tyranny or even unnatural especially to citizens in a free society like ours. We're used to saying something about everything and we're glad that we're free to say it. However, again, Christianity has a head. It has a leader. His name is Christ. He's spoken clearly. Christianity is not a democracy. It is a theocracy. Christ rules. Christ knows this. He gives us his truth from his word. We, we've said this many times before, but since Jesus Christ is, is king, we don't have the liberty to believe anything we like, and we don't have the liberty to behave any way we like. And we could even say this morning, and we don't even have the liberty to do gospel ministry any way we like. And if we're thinking, we should be very, very thankful about this. Now, the title of my talk is The Genuine Marks of a God-Given Ministry. The Genuine Marks of a God-Given Ministry. And what these are are principles that are unchanging, that are authorized to be part and parcel, parcel of a genuine God-given ministry. Now, you can't say something like that without being able to like back it up and this Sunday and Lord willing next Sunday and, and probably the next Sunday we'll do that. But just think with me just for a minute. If it's true that the answer to, to the most important question, who is Jesus, we answered two weeks ago. We looked at verses 15 to 20 of chapter one in Colossians and Paul gave us a very clear, concise, unchanging, unbending, authorized answer If that answer is true, and I'm prepared to tell you that it is true, that is who Jesus is. And then last week, if we answered the crucial question, just what is a Christian? And if you weren't here last week, just think about that for a minute. That is a question that gets people angry at each other. Don't you dare judge me. How can you say that? And what we did last week, we we answered the question from the scriptures, verses 21 to 23, of just what is a genuine Christian? And by the way, we, we answered that question not to des- desire to sit in judgment over anybody. God alone is the final judge of a person's true experience of salvation. But the Bible is the judge of how we can describe salvation. It bears repeating, right? God is the final judge of someone's salvation. That's not our business. But the Bible, God's word, is the judge of how we can describe salvation. So we answered the question, what is a, cr- a Christian? So, so if it's true that we got a definitive answer about who is Jesus Christ, and if it's true, and we did, that we got a definitive answer about what is a Christian, doesn't it stand to reason that we can open our Bibles, go right back to where we left off, and we can answer the question, what are the genuine marks 
of a God-given ministry. As much of ministry is, is how God is pleased to get the word out about his son, about his love, about our sin, about the coming judgment, and establishing God's people in the faith. So, so with, with all the counterfeit ministries that are out there, you know, all that they have to do now is slap the name Jesus Christ on something and slap the name God on their webpage or their leaflet. All the ministries that pay real little attention to the Bible or to the gospel and all the counterfeit teachers that Paul addressed in his day and all the silly people in every age who have said, yeah, I've been called by God to the special ministry of whatever and we don't find it in the scriptures. We can see this morning and the next few mornings if it bears under the weight of the, of the word of God and to see, to see if this ministry is genuine. Now, here's how important this question is. Matthew 23, Jesus kind of ran up to this same thing. He, he was the midst of all these religious professionals. They were counterfeits. They were phonies. And in Matthew 23, Jesus said, listen, guys, you do a terrific show on the outside. But inside, Jesus says, your hearts are dead men's bones. And so Jesus would say, you are people who said one thing, but you did another. And, and you are people who did many things, but you only did things for show. That was the Pharisees, right? They loved to wear long flowing robes and they loved people going the streets. Hey, pastor, how's it going? And they loved to do public prayers and, and they just went on and on and on. Showtime Christianity is very popular these days. In fact, my son and I were taking a walk, and I, and I told him this week, I said, son, we labor for an audience of one, Jesus Christ. And when we try to do things for the applause of men in ministry, we've cheapened the grace of God. And if your conscience is alive, son, and if your conscience is trained, you will feel it. And so Jesus goes on to say these, to these religious phonies, he says, you shut the door of the kingdom of heavens in men's faces. You do not enter yourself, and when others are entering it, you stop them. Now, if you heard that, that is a horrible picture that Jesus gives. Outside, honest looking, holy looking. It seems like they're saying the right thing. It seems like they're doing the right thing. Inside, it is deceitful. It is hypocrisy. It is a lie. And this is the horrible part. People's lives, their eternal destinies are, are being broken here. As Jesus himself said, they are shut out from the kingdom of God. Now that matters to me. And I think, and I bet it matters to everyone here. Now, in light of all that stuff, can we see that this Memorial Day weekend morning, why the question that we're going to try to answer in part tonight, what are the, or today, what are the genuine marks of a God-given ministry is so crucial? I, I caught up on my C.S. Lewis a little bit this week, and, and I, I remember that there was something about this in the book Screwtape Letters, and I found it. He writes this. He says, the evil one wants only half-dead pastors and half-dead elders, and half-dead Christians, and half-right. We don't want totally dead ones, for the totally dead ones will be found out much too quickly than the half-dead. So keep them half-dead, and not totally dead, and not totally committed to the biblical doctrines, so that you'll never know where they stand as they just shut the door to God's kingdom to others. Now, that is exactly the situation that was facing the Christians in Colossae. They were confronted by false spiritual leadership. Their problem was heresy. You had men that were very skilled with the ability to speak, but they were not speaking for God. 
So Paul's a shepherd. He's an apostle. He cares for the sheep and he wants to protect them. So he protects them in part by writing this letter to them. And he's in this part that we're reading this morning, he's going to show us again and again what is a false ministry and what is a true ministry. He's going to give a plumb line. I suspect every, almost everybody in North Minnesota, Northern Minnesota knows what a plumb line is. I didn't know what a plumb line was <laughs> until I got here. So in, instead of Paul giving a list, he gives them his life. Isn't that what we read in those, in those verses 24 and 5 and 6 and so on? He just tells them about him. Paul knows that he's going to leave this world soon. And he is an apostle. He's an apostle with the prophets and the, as the foundation that was already laid with Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone. You do not need to relay this foundation. The work that was done is a completed work. The words that were given, there's nothing that needs to be added to it. So that which was spoken by Paul under the direction of the Holy Spirit is now captured by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in this scripture. And it's vital for them and it's vital for every generation until Jesus Christ returns. So this is truth then for all time until the very end of the age. And we need to know this because this is what apostolic succession is. Okay, we're going to hear that word a few times this morning. Apostolic succession is not, doesn't have anything to do with a certain person in Rome. It has everything to do with faithful men who pass down the faith to other faithful men, 2 Timothy 2.2, and so on down the corridors of time, and again, until Christ shuts everything down here on earth. So, So in light of a culture that is willing to believe almost everything about anything, the answer to the question, what are the genuine marks of a God-given ministry, are absolutely crucial. As we said again and again, people's lives are at stake. Maybe your life is at stake this morning. So the first mark of a God-given ministry is, number one, the source of the ministry. Or we could say it like this, the source of Paul's ministry. That's verse 25. This is what Paul says. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. So, so right off the bat, we, we plainly see that Paul knew that Paul did not choose his task. Okay? It wasn't if Paul decided all of a sudden, you know, I'm really tired of being a Pharisee and I'm really tired of persecuting Christians. You know what? I think I'll become a pastor. It wasn't like that at all. Verse 25 I have became its servant, that's the church, and we'll come to that in a moment, but nevertheless, I am the church's servant, here's the key phrase, by the commission God gave me. So I want you to see, Paul understood that the totality of his ministry was one that he received from God. So so if you ask Paul the question, hey Paul, how did you become a minister? He would say, no, no, I did not become a minister, I was made a minister. I was made a minister. He stresses this a few times in the New Testament. Let me just read you a few examples. 1 Timothy 2.7, I was appointed by God. 2 Timothy 1.11, of the gospel I was appointed. 2 Corinthians 5.18, I was given the ministry of reconciliation. So what Paul was saying is, let's be very clear here. God gave me this ministry. In Paul's conversion, the Lord spoke to Ananias and said, this man is my chosen instrument to bring my name before the Gentiles. So essentially, on the day of Paul's conversion, he was chosen, and he was just moments away from his commission. Therefore, Paul did not choose the task. 
God chose it for him. And here's another thing. Paul didn't choose a message. He didn't choose a message. What do you so often hear? I, I have this new message from God. I really feel like God is calling me to say X, and X is really nothing from the Scripture. I have a word from God. I have a new thing that God is doing and just happens to be doing it through me and I just want to share it with you. Or you hear people say, you know what? This is my ministry. I know exactly how it's all going to shut down. I've got huge charts to show you how the world is going to come to an end. I got a new take. I got a better way. And I want to ask the question, why? Why? And then I want to ask the question, how? How did you get that message? Now, we should know that the age of the apostle in this sense, in a Paul sense, is gone. As I said before, the apostle and the prophets laid down this foundation with Christ being the cornerstone. They did their work. There is no new news needed. The work of Christ is completed. The message of Christ is completed. Again, we don't need to add to it, and we definitely don't need to subtract from it. But if we understand this succession of ministry to be that which is entrusted to faithful men, so you had Paul who entrusted his ministry to Timothy because Paul knew that he wasn't going to be around forever. And so Paul as a pastor, teacher, slash apostle now entrusted the ministry to Timothy, a pastor and teacher. Timothy is not an apostle. He's now a pastor, teacher, and on through the corridors of time, that privilege gets passed on to, to certain men. So you have to ask the question, well, okay, well, you know, how do you know, right? How do you know that I'm a pastor? That's a good question. Well, here's at least two things we have to consider in in the pastorate. Number one, if someone is considering the ministry, the ministry is in pastoral ministry, not ministry as all Christians are called to. If someone is considering pastoral ministry, then here's the first piece of advice I should give. If you could do something else, do it. Okay? If you could do something else, do it. Okay, so, <laughs> and my wife's laughing because she knows I can't do anything else. <laughs> and it's not a, it's just terrible sometimes. <laughs> if you can do something else, do it. But if you can do nothing else, then do it. Pa- pastoral ministry is not like a series of vocational options in a career span. Not if you're going to stay on course and not if you're going to see any progress in the ministry. It is a call that God gives Paul, like all ministers, did not choose his task. The, cha- the task chooses him, and of course, God is behind it. That's the first thing. The second thing, and if you're considering pastoral ministry, ask yourself, do you have the courage to say what has already been said from God's word? Do you have the courage to say what has already been said from God's word? Do you have the courage to pre- cr- preach Christ over and over again, no matter what the stares of the people seem like? Do you have the courage to do that? Paul did not choose a message. It was a message that was given to him. Just like Jeremiah in the Old Testament. Jeremiah said to, to his people or to God, your word, God, is, is, is in my heart like a fire. A fire shut up in my bones. So if you ask the question, you know, why is there no heart when the guy talks? Why is there Bible closed when the guy talks? Why is the Bible barely mentioned when the guy talks? Why is the Bible sometimes just like a segue to introduce the person's own clever ideas. Here's what I think about this. I'm telling you what's wrong with America and blah, 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 blah. Let me tell you why. Answer, because only God can make a minister. Now, we, we need to move on. But it's again, it's important that you understand this apostolic succession. This is how it works. Paul serves as a pattern here for all of God's ministers. 
What, what he said, Paul, and what he did to an extent, Paul, we must do. You say, why is that so? Because Paul said what Christ said, and Paul did what Christ did. And Christ said what his father said, and Christ did what he saw his father doing. So if you trace the lines back from the minister to the very core of its origin, then it goes back to God. Now I'm going to tell you why. Verse 25, you see that word commission there? The word there is, is the word for a household manager entrusted with the task of watching over the house and watching over the possessions of the master. That was Paul saying, this is my commission. It's the word that we would use steward or guardian or trustee or custodian, okay? So, so if you've ever house it, you kind of understand what this is. Everything's already been given in the house. Paul, Paul was given the house by God, and God said, watch over the house, Paul. Don't mess with the house. Just care for the house, and so just do that. So again, if you've ever house it, you know that you don't, at least I hope you don't, go looking through their stuff, do you? You don't go rearranging things in the house, do you? You don't have a huge party and just mess everything up. And you, and you certainly don't go around in your pajamas acting like you're the master of the house, right? Master of the house. You don't do anything except watch over the house and make sure everything is cared for. And when, when you leave and the master comes back, you want it to be exactly the way the master left it. Why? Because you're a steward. You're not the master. Your task was given. The message was, wasn't chosen by you. It was given to you. You, you are really not the issue. That's probably the third mark of pastoral ministry. You better understand right up front that you're not the issue. The issue is the message. Jeremiah warned his people, again from Jeremiah, he warned his people of his day and so our day. He said there's going to be people out there that are going to assume that kind of preaching prophet role. And God says they will bring confusion. Jeremiah 23, 16, God says, do not listen to these prophets. Verse 21, I did not send them, yet they went. I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied. And it was all a lie. It was essentially uncommissioned officers trying to be part of the army of God. False prophets, says God. And the people who don't know better, as is always the case with these things, the people who don't know better fall for their lies. And they are ruined and they are misled. And God says, I am against them. Now, now, if that does not speak to our age, I don't know what does. That is why as a congregation, if we don't have a God-given pattern that, that we will run to all the time, that we'll cling to, then this is what will happen. I guarantee you this will happen. We'll be blown away by every wind of doctrine. Every time so-called a Christian bestseller or something Christian, great, wonderful, come down the pike, we'll say, that's it. That's what we're looking for. And we'll cling to it for a while. And then after four or five years, another thing will come down and we'll just do the whole thing over again. That is not ministry. I don't know what that is, but that is not a genuine mark of a God-given ministry. So, so what is the genuine mark of a God-given ministry? Don't worry, you're only going to get two. Number one, the source of the ministry was God. God chose the task. He gave it to Paul. Paul did not choose the task. Paul was not c- considering a whole plethora of options. The task just landed on him. And Paul did not choose his message that he was going to give him. The message, the full gospel, was given to him. That's verse 25b. We'll do much more next, next week. But essentially, 
the message was Jesus Christ. So we have to leave this point, but we have to say this. What gives a, a man a right to pastor? And what gives a man a right to preach? He's a nice fellow. He's got family connections, and they know how to get the thing done for him. He can really tell a great story. Oh, he, just, he was five, and then he was eight, and you know, it's just great. His education, his appearance. What gives a man a right to pastor or preach? No one gives None of those things give a man a right to preach except God. God gives a man a right to do those teams. He might choose all those things that we mentioned, but he certainly doesn't need them. And most of the time, and this is a little bit of experience talking here, 16 years in pastoral ministry, most of the time he just kind of gets those things, just get in the way anyway, and he pushes them out. If this person doesn't follow eventually this apostolic pattern that we're discovering this morning, then I can guarantee you they're either A, self-appointed in their labor, or B, they won't stay in. They will not stay in. They will be found wanting at the bar of God's judgment. They won't stay in. And if they do stay in at the judgment, they'll be discredited. 1 Corinthians 4. That's the first mark. Secondly now. What are the genuine marks of a God-given ministry? The scope of the ministry then is that of a suffering servant of Christ, a servant of the gospel, and a suffering servant for the church. That's all there in verse 25 and a few other places. Now again, everyone that's a Christian is called to ministry, but now we're talking about pastoral ministry and, and that kind of specific constrained task, the task of preaching and the task of of, of teaching the scriptures. But this is very important. Let's understand this. Every ministry in the church has a word element in it. So, so by instructions, we may know how to serve and we may know what to say and what pleases God in our ministry so that everything in the church is constrained in some level by the ministry of the word. We have to understand that. We can't wing it on our own. We don't, don't, we don't know by nature how to do ministry right. We constantly need to be taught God's word to give us clarity. So if you look at chapter one, Epaphras, he was the founder of the church. Paul didn't found this church, Epaphras did. Verse seven, he called himself, or Paul calls him a minister of Christ, a servant of Christ. Paul refers to himself, verse 23, as a servant of the gospel. Verse 24, a servant of the church. So, so here's a genuine mark. What is a minister of the church? What, what is a called pastor and teacher? He's a servant of Jesus Christ. He's a servant of the gospel, which is Christ, the message of Christ. And he's a servant of the church, which Christ is the head of. Now, you catching that rhythm? The word there is diakonai. It's the word for a table waiter. That's what I am, a servant. It's not very glamorous, but it never should be. Service is the high point of pastoral ministry. And no leader, no matter how wonderful they are, can lead correctly until they lead with a towel in their hand. That's what waiters do, right? A towel in their hand ready to give themselves. Paul, who are you? Well, I'm a servant of Christ. I'm a slave of Christ. I'm a servant of the gospel. I'm a slave of the gospel. I, I'm a servant of the church of Jesus Christ. So that in everything that Paul did and all pastors do, Jesus Christ is the key. Now, I want you to notice there in verses 24 and 25, Paul refers to the church as the body of Jesus Christ. That's the scope of his ministry. That's very important, isn't it? I'm a minister of the church which Jesus Christ is the head. And, and so we're going to answer this question this morning and we'll be done. What, what is the church? Okay? What is the church? Just think. I'm going to give you like 10 seconds to think of the definition in your mind. What is the church? I don't have a lot of time, so think quick. 
Okay, so if you ask the average person, that wasn't 10 seconds, was it? It was about eight seconds. If you ask the average person, what is the church? Some people would say, well, the church is a building, stained glass. The church is kind of like an outdated institution. You know, it's like I have to be dragged to the place. Yeah, it's very boring. There's boring people there. There's boring pastors there and boring sermons. Church is like a place where people just get together and decide stuff. And they usually they say no to everything, right? All revealing that people in general do not understand what the church is. This is what the Bible teaches of the church. The church is the ecclesia. That's the Greek word. We are the assembly of God's chosen people. The people that God have gathered together. We are the children of God. So the church isn't an organization. It's an organism. It's in sense, it's the family of God. The structure is never the issue in a church. People are the issue. Christ is the issue. And we are the church everywhere. That's important, right? So we're not just the church here. Everywhere we go, we're the church. When people run into us, they have to run into Jesus Christ on some level. We have to understand that. That's why I said in the beginning, we have to lay aside our opinions and lay aside things that just don't matter. Because the crucial thing is this, Jesus Christ be glorified in our mortal bodies. So the church of Jesus Christ is the assembly of God's chosen people who have been, and I'm going to say this, called out, called for, called to, called together. So Christians, we've been called out of darkness. That's how we got here. God called us out of darkness, and God always gets what he calls. He got, called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. First Peter 2, 9, Colossians 1, all over the place. We are people who have been delivered by God himself. Can't you see it in the text? Look at verse 13 or 12 and 13. God qualified us. God rescued us. Verse 13, God brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. 13b, verse 14, God has redeemed us. You look at verses 21 and 2 and 3. God has reconciled us by the death of Jesus Christ. God is a busy, busy entity, isn't he? He's just doing all kinds of stuff. So we've been called out as a church, and we've been called for a relationship with God, and a relationship with Christ, and a relationship with people. That's Colossians 1.22. By God reconciling us to himself, all our other relationships can work right now because we have a right relationship with him. And the church is called to an inheritance. This is, these are the things that keep me up or get me up in the morning. We're going to receive an inheritance as the church that will never spoil or never fade away. This is kind of goofy, but I'm going to tell you, I was watching this movie the other night, and it, and it, you know, it made me cry. It was so glorious, right? And, and it was some guy doing something incredible. You know how it goes. And like, oh, how did he survive? And I can't believe he did it. And, and I just puddle of tears. The focus is on him, and it was glory, right? And then the movie ended, and all the glory was gone, Okay? Capture that moment of glory, and that's what Peter tells us. We are headed for eternal glory that far outweighs all that stuff you get in a two-hour movie. That's a perpetual existence as a Christian. So we're going to be called to an inheritance. God has prepared for us, and he's planned for us. And then the church is called together. Right? When Paul wrote to the Colossians, he's not writing to a person, is he? He's writing to a people. Christians have been called together. So we cannot be isolated from one another. I mean, just think for a minute. We worship together. We learn together. We minister together. We share with one another. We care for one another. We pray together, right? We pray together, don't we? So you have to ask yourself the question, what does this mean to you? What does the church mean to you? And this is the moments when you need to be very prayerful about this. This is the 
important question because the church as it exists is the body of Jesus Christ. Who are you, Christian? Well, I've been called out, I've been called for, called to, and called together with God's people. So, so the church isn't a holy club. The, the church isn't, you know, oh, cool, we get to see our friends. That's wonderful. We love that privilege, but it's much more than that. The church certainly isn't people with all like minds. We're not robots believing the same thing when it comes to non-essentials. That's the church. But let me say this. This is absolutely important that we understand that. The church of Jesus Christ is the one instrument on earth by which the risen, living, almighty Christ reveals himself and he reveals the invisible God to a world that desperately needs him. So, so the church is the visible expression of the body that Jesus promised he would build and protect. So that when we come to church on Sunday, we don't come to a building, but we do come together. And when we come together, we come in Christ, that, and that is the church. The church is the visible expression of Jesus Christ, and right now, Jesus Christ is with us. Do you understand that? Right now, Jesus Christ is with us. So we're not doing time here this morning, and we're certainly not here to hype up ourselves and you know, leave the rest of the week and come back and do it all over again. We are part of the body of Jesus Christ so that now, right now, and all week long, long, people that are around us ought to discover that Jesus Christ is alive and that Jesus Christ rules and Jesus Christ reigns and Jesus Christ one day will judge this world and Jesus Christ is our only hope in life and in death. And that's why the church, no matter how pitiful we look sometimes, will always remain on this earth. The church, the true church of Jesus Christ will never be gone for this earth. It will never change. It will always grow. And just think, think of all the enemies of the church of Jesus Christ throughout history. Think of all the people who who were the enemies of the church or all the people even right now, regrettably, that just ignore the church. Some people curse the church and and curse your message. What I want to ask you is where are they now? Where, where's Hitchens? Where's Voltaire? Where's O'Hara? Where's Maestate Tongue? Where's Lennon? Where are they now? They have gone to dust. What seems so powerful and so appealing isn't always so. And so where are we right now? Where are we right now? And, and how is the church of Jesus Christ doing? Well, we could say she is just fine. And you could say, well, where is the church of Jesus Christ headed? We are headed to a place our Father and His Son has prepared for us. We we are headed to eternal glory. We're going to have to stop now. Let me just close with this. This is what we need to understand this morning. Paul has a God-given ministry. His ministry has apostolic authority. That is the pattern that we must follow. Is it a constrained ministry? Is it a constrained ministry? Yes, it is. Is the message constrained? Yes, it is. Is the context constrained? Yes, it is. But, but is all that unleashed in the whole world? Yes, it is. And if you're, if you're really thinking, if you're really thinking and you consider ministry in the context of the West, we have a whole lot of unconstrained ministries. We have a whole lot of unconstrained messages we have a poor view of the church. We have a poor view of Christ. And this world is not really changing, is it? Is it? Sad news this week. Read sociologists, religious sociologists tell us that right now in America, 
On this day, 75% of the people in America will not come to public worship at all. Only 25% of the people will come to public worship Sunday by Sunday. 75% of the people in America will not come. It's worse in Europe. But the church will be just fine. She'll be just fine. Let's bow together and pray. Oh God and Father, we pray for the help of the Holy Spirit to understand this. I I suspect uh, on a holiday weekend, this might not have been the best text, but it is the one that was coming up next, and so we just leave these things to you. What we want to see, Father, this Sunday and the coming Sundays is for you to reveal to us through your word what is, Father, a genuine, what are the marks of a genuine Christian ministry so that we might fall under that pattern? Father, we, we do thank you for this extended weekend. We pray for your mercy as people are out and about, for your safety. Keep us sensible this weekend. For those of us who have tomorrow off, we, we ask for your mercy and your blessing over that day. And Father, we certainly ask for your mercy and your blessing over this day. So may you bless us and keep us. May you cause your face to shine upon us and be gracious to us. And may you turn toward us now and give us peace. We pray this in your son's name, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.